0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. I want to say this. You know, we have been blessed with our leadership here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church in the field of missions. James Copeland, Randy Copeland, and now Kelsey Clara, She's come to help us. And you've done a great job this week, Kelsey. So we're very proud of you. Also, also, it's worth mentioning that we have a, group, a great group of team leaders, too. So when you saw all of these flags coming down, almost in every instance, we have a, a committee, as it were. Committees aren't, aren't always bad in a Baptist church, but we have a team that's focused on those mission fields and helping us take teams uh, wherever we need to go. We have so many people who make this work, and it's been great to kind of get back a little bit of that that, that missions vibe that Ridgecrest is so well known for. And really, this is just the beginning. We're going to try to get all of our partners here in the fall, maybe even some new partners in the fall, where we can bring them in and get to, uh, you introduced to them and get excited about what God is doing in the kingdom of God. So today, what I would like to do is take a few moments here and talk about how God wants to continue His work through Ridgecrest Baptist Church in the process of blessing all the families of the earth. I know that sounds like a big deal, because it is. God wants to use His church to be a blessing to all, to every family in the world. And we have the opportunity today to hear a little bit of how God in redemptive history has done it, and how he can encourage us to do it today in our time. So, if you have your copy of scripture, will you stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word. And I'm going to begin in chapter 11, verse 27. Now hang with me here. I'm going to give you some, some family names, some proper nouns in the Hebrew. And, but I want you to pay attention. There's a lot going on here. More than just genealogy, okay? Verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Okay, Now, I want you to see that right there. They settled there. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And it says, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you will take this passage with all of these genealogies and all of these ancient cities and places, and God, put it all together so that we can hear a word for today. We want a word today, God, that will challenge this church and help us to see that the blessings that you promised to Abram are blessings that we can experience here today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It is exciting, isn't it? to be a part of a church that is on mission to bring blessings, God's blessings to all the families of the earth. I'm here to tell you, it is an honor to be a part of Ridgecrest and to serve alongside of you. It's also an honor to be a Baptist, a Southern Baptist. As a denomination, we have a Great Commission focus. We believe in supporting missionaries all around the world. You as a part of this church, if you are a member of this church and you are giving to this church, you are giving to the worldwide mission that Jesus would have us be on, and that is special. Here at our church, we are doing our very best to reach our neighbors, And the nations and to make disciples of them. That's our passion. And we don't want to forget our neighbors because when we're talking missions, and of course we have all these flags around here, but we know that our neighbor next door, the people in our city, in our counties, we want them to hear the message of Jesus. And we want to take the message that starts here at our place in Springfield, Missouri, and let it spread out in concentric circles around the world. Ridgecrest has 27 mission partners that are spread out around the world. And it's not an exaggeration to say that the sun never sets on our gospel presentation. Ridgecrest and our mission partners are preaching the gospel all around the world. And the sun never sets on that ministry. That's something awesome. Something that we can truly be proud of in the right way. But let me give you this warning. We can stand in awe of this fact. We can talk, as we have this week, about our 27 mission partners, and we could be satisfied in that number. Or we could ask God to do something bigger. What if where we are isn't all the way to where God would have us be? You see, because God has never given his people a small or a provincial vision. In other words, God has never called a church like this and said, you know, just do your best and kind of stay in your neighborhood and stay in your lane and do your thing. No, when God is involved, he is pushing us beyond the boundaries. He is pushing us beyond our comfort uh, levels and limits. He will do that if we let him. And I believe that God is calling this great church to do greater things. And one of the things I'm going to show you here in the text today is it is possible to only go halfway as it relates to the vision that God gives us. And I want to warn you, if God says go and we say stay, the consequences will be dire. If God is telling us to go, if God is calling us to dream bigger dreams and do greater things for his kingdom, if we stay where we are, we are sinning. And the best way I know to illustrate this point is to take you into our text in chapter 11. I want to show you verses 11, I mean, actually verses 27 through 32. And I want you to see this with me because this shows us the sorrow of stopping halfway chapter 11 verses 27 through 32 now as I was reading it a moment ago if you ever needed to have a little compassion for your pastor that's that's a good time to do it when a pastor who grew up with a western Kentucky southern Illinois accent is trying to read Hebrew proper nouns please pray for your pastor but let me just say this there's a lot going on in these verses The chapter division here between chapter 11 and 12 is unfortunate because the tragic backstory of Terah is so important for us to understand if we're going to appreciate what God did through Abram and the kind of faith that Abram had. Terah's story is tragic. Now let me take you back to the beginning of chapter 11. The beginning of chapter 11 begins in a familiar place. Even when we don't have extensive background Bible knowledge, we've probably heard of the Tower of of Babel. And all of us who have ever tried to learn a foreign language, we get very upset about this story. Because it is this story that makes your Spanish class or your German class or for some of us our English grammar so difficult. This is where it all starts to fall apart because human beings had come together and they had tried to do something God was not happy with. They tried to make a name for themselves by building this great tower into the heavens. That's chapter 11. That's how it starts. Total chaos ensues because God judges those people for being so prideful and spreads them out around the world and makes it to where they cannot communicate. This is where languages are, are dispersed. Now, let me just say this. I didn't mention it in the first service, but it's worth mentioning to you. If you want to see the the reversal of Babel, go to Acts chapter 2, where all the nations hear in their own heart language the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reversal of Babel is in the book of Acts because when we have the power of the gospel, all the barriers of language and culture are broken down because we are able to go in the power of Jesus. But here's what's interesting here. We have a group of people who have decided to make a name for themselves, and they are judged. Every single one of us in this room, we are either going to spend our lives making a name for ourselves, or we're going to make a name, the name of Jesus, above all. We all have that choice. We're either going to focus our energies and our efforts on making our name great, or we're going to make Jesus' name great. And here in this passage, we begin to see that Tara doesn't get the full idea of what's going on. Terah and his family are faithful at first. They get up and move. They are called out of Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the promised land. And they make it almost there, but not quite. In fact, they go about halfway. Now, before I show you this map, let me just say this. The name Terah means moon. And then Laban's name also, which is um, a family member there, Haran's son, Laban, who figures in more prominently as we get into the Genesis narrative. These two names both reference the moon. So here's, here's what I need to tell you. In case you thought that Terah that and Abram and his family were like Bible-toting Baptists, they were not. They were pagans who worshipped the moon so much, in fact, that they named their kids after their false gods. So when God got a hold of Terah and his family, he did a radical thing by calling them out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And, and we see this by their names, by where they're at in their lives and what God is calling them to. But let me show you this map. This map makes it really plain in a way that I can't really describe with words. You'll see in the bottom right hand, Ur. Okay, this is where it all begins. This is where Terah, Abram and his family, where they start. They go up to Har- uh, Haran and uh, then they are supposed to come on down. That circle there on the left is in the promised land. And as you can see, it is about halfway. Now, some of you are out there saying, well, why didn't they just go across? If you'll notice there, it says Arabian Desert. Uh, You couldn't take a train or a plane or an automobile. You had to walk across that, and that would not work. So the only way to survive in long-term travel was to go where there was water. And if you'll notice, that triangle sort of forms the water. It's the wells. It's the way you had to go. So Haran is halfway It's halfway to where Terah and Abram are supposed to go. Now, we think about the plan that God has for Abram. Those of you who know Abraham's story, here he's Abram, but he becomes Abraham. We all know that God has this great plan. But here's what's really sad and tragic. I think God had a similar plan for Terah, but Terah did not embrace the plan. And the only hint in the text as to why that happened is grief. Now, I want you to see in verse 28, it says Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, there are two Harans in this passage. One is a person and one is a place. Now, it's spelled exactly the same in English, but, but you'll have to trust me. In Hebrew, these are spelled a little different and pronounced a little different. But I wasn't even going to try to do that because if I did that, it's a guttural sound and I can never do it right and you would make fun of me. Okay. But the words look very similar, but let's distinguish between the man, Haran, and the place, Haran. And so the reason why it seems that Terah didn't go all the way to the promised land as he was called is because he was sidelined by grief. Let me just pause for a moment and say for many of us who are trying to find God's will in our life, it is grief that gets us off the path many times. And here we see that the grief began not in uh, the place of Haran, but it happened still in Ur. So the heartbreak happened in Ur. But it seems like Terah carried that with him. And he was not able, because of that grief, to go the distance to the promised land. Now, we can have some sympathy for him, but we need to realize here that Terah makes a choice and here's something that I want to show you in the text very quickly. If you look carefully at chapter 11, verse 26, chapter 11, verse 32, and chapter 12, verse 4, and do a little math, what you'll discover is, is that Terah is said to have died in verse 26. Um, I'm sorry, it, and there in verse 32, it says that he has died. Now I want you to catch this. What's interesting is, is that he spent another 60 years in Haran, After Abram and Lot left him. So he doesn't die right away. He spends 60 more years in this place that is halfway. He had 60 years. To do what God had called him to do. Now here's what makes it even more interesting. We can see in Genesis 23, verse 6 and other places that Abram and his family, so we can assume Terah and the rest of his family, they had been economically very successful in Haran. They had accumulated great wealth, which in those days was livestock and such. They were so rich that when Abram uh, waltzes into the promised land, the Canaanites uh, tell him that he's a king. He's so rich he looks like he's got enough money to be a king. So here's the deal. Abram, Lot, and Terah are in Haran and they are prospering and they are successful. But they are not where God wants them to be. Terah thinks, I guess, whether it's because of his grief or maybe he was just satisfied, he decides to stay in this place. But Abram has the faith to take the next step and keep going. That word, Haran, can also mean very dry. For Abram, Haran presented great economic opportunity. But it also produced an environment of spiritual drought. Abram had to make a distinction between material prosperity and spiritual faithfulness. Are you catching this? This is huge. Because I think what happens to us today is that many times we get to a good place in life. God has blessed us. We have good jobs. And and our money situation is stable, perhaps, as we get to a certain place in our lives. And instead of taking the next step to where God wants us to go, we stay put That is the process that Terah went through. And because of that, he was buried in Haran. Sixty years after Abram went on to the promised land and to his blessing, Terah died in the very dry place. Had Abram not been a man of faith, if he had stopped in Haran, he would have been buried alongside his father and lost to history, buried in the dry earth of Haran. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what God has called you to do, but I fear that some of us are missing out on the bigger blessing that God has for us. I think this is true personally because some of you have been around missions and we've had these moments to commit to missions. I would imagine that some of you have made commitments in years past that have not come to fruition and because things are going relatively well in your life, because maybe you're doing well in school, maybe because your profession is, is, is going gangbusters and everything's falling into line, you have forgotten those promises you made to God. But I'll tell you this, God hasn't forgot those promises. And if you are stuck halfway, friends, you are not being faithful to what God has called you to do and to be. I want to extend this beyond your personal situation. And I want to talk about Ridgecrest Baptist Church for a few moments. It seems to me that it would be very easy for us because we have known many years, actually several decades, three decades of of prosperity. God has given us a a spiritual heritage to be proud of. We have been led well not only in the missions department, but our senior pastors and our elders have done a great job over the years to make this church a healthy disciple-making church. But it is easy for us to think that because we have been successful thus far, that maybe we are where God wants us to be, that maybe 27 is the number in terms of mission partners. But what if that is only halfway? What if God is calling us to 50 or more mission partners? Do not assume that where God has us is the end of the road, because I believe that God has more for us to do. We cannot settle for where we are. We cannot rest and say we're doing a decent job of the Great Commission. Listen, if you love your job and want to keep it, you work hard and do your best. And if we love Jesus and we believe in the Great Commission, we cannot settle for second best. As a church, we need to say, Lord, you show us what we need to do and then give us the strength and the courage to do it. Tara's fate is the fate of every church that only goes halfway. Halfway, we'll get you killed. Only those who make it to the promised land find life. In this instance, we have a strange instance of geography impacting theology. We saw on the map that Terra didn't go to the promised land. Let me just share this with you, and I, I want you to hear this well. I'm unpacking this a little more in the service. I hope you'll give me the latitude to do it. But if you look at Abram's life, you see that he spent 75 years with his father, Terah. He spent 25 years in between, years without father or son. Because when he left Haran, he left his father. And then the last 75 years, he had his son, Isaac. Here in the middle were 25 years of difficulty. Now for us as a church, it's not about the years. And I I want you to hear my heart and hear it well. I think that we can look back at the history of Ridgecrest Baptist Church and the phenomenal growth and the amazing things that God did here. We can look back and we can talk about the days of our fathers, the days when God was really moving in a big way. And then we can look back at recent history and see the transitions that the church has been through. And because of some difficult circumstances, it seemed like we kind of lost our way a little bit. Not, not completely. The elders and the leaders of this church came together and were strong and sure. I'm so proud of, of what this church has accomplished through storms of adversity. But we all know that it seemed like we lost a little bit of momentum, if not a lot of bit of momentum. And it's so easy for us to assume that the best years are behind us. But I think God's word is showing us that when we are faithful and obedient to God, that last stretch is the best. That's when God can do the biggest things. When we have been successful and then gone through a trial, it is after that that God can do great things. It is what's next for Ridgecrest that excites me. And we do not want to for a moment think that we're all the way there where God wants us. We're not even halfway, friends. God's got so much more blessing to pour out on us. But the blessed are a blessing only when they obey. That's our second point. Now, as we go through this point, I can be a little quicker here because if you'll notice in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the word that is repeated again and again and again is the word bless or blessing. God promises to bless Abram if he is obedient. And part of that obedience is centered around, verse 1, that word go. Go from your country. If there is a word that is missional, it is the word go. When God says go, he's telling us to go from something and to something. Here in the text, the from is from your kindred and your father's house. Terah was not going to move even though God was moving. Do you follow me? Terah was not going to move even though God was moving. So for Abram to be obedient, he had to go from his father. He had to go into the next chapter of his life. And then he had to go from that, but then to the promised land. Look at verse 1. The land I will show you. And we get the idea here that God is going to make a nation out of him. And let me just pause and say that word nation is the Hebrew word goy or goyim, which means Gentiles. This is important. God's people, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people missed something here, I believe, because they became too inward focused. But from the very beginning, their father Abraham was called to be missional and to take the message of Yahweh all around the world. They lost their way, and therefore they lost their privilege. And today, church, if we get happy and satisfied where we are, if God is telling us to go and we stay, we will die too. Ridgecrest is a great church, but it can die like any other organization, institution that forgets its way. And listen, friends, if we forget that Jesus is the one in charge, and we think that we cannot listen to his commands, and if we do not go, we will die. This is a missions passage It's missional. We are called, just as Abram was, to go and be a blessing to the families of the earth. And notice in verse 4, Abram went as the Lord told him. It was simple faith here. He went out and did what God had called him to do. He's not making a great name for himself. He's making a great name for the Lord. That's what we are called to do. Those who have been given much must give much. And the work of missions is is the conduit of the blessing. Notice I said again, that word blessed or blessing pops up so many times, but we need to realize that that blessing sort of flows through missions, through giving, through going, through blessing other people. If you call yourself a Christian, if you claim that you are in Christ, then you are called to go and share Christ. That's what obedience looks like. Disciples of Jesus are not insular. They're outward focused. They don't look within. They don't just try to take care of business within, but they think of going out. We see in this passage that Abram does go. But also in chapter 22, verse 1, there's another instance where he goes. God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, and offer him up on that hill over there. As hard as it was to leave the wealth of Haran, As hard as it was to leave the hometown of Ur, in chapter 22, if you read further ahead and see, the hardest thing, the hardest place of obedience for Abraham was in the giving of his son. But he was willing to do it. And that provides for us a picture of what God would do for us. Isaac was spared. Jesus was not spared. God did give his only son the cross crucified jesus so that we could have life eternal and abram was willing to be faithful even to the point of the knife coming down and the angel stayed his hand and that was god's grace at work let me say this to do the work of god we need the grace of god To be faithful in missions, we need to remember that the power of faith is a gift from God. But if we will be obedient, God invites us to join him in the work. And God wants us to share in the blessing. When we are faithful, God does amazing things. He wants to save the world. He wants the church to be beautiful. Now, there's two ways to think about being beautiful. If you think about like a vase that you put flowers in. A vase, is. is, some of them can be very, very uh, expensive, especially if they're from the Ming Dynasty, I guess, you know, porcelain. Uh, They can be beautiful, no doubt. But you can just kind of look at them. Whereas, let's think about a lampstand, and this is important because this is the imagery that Jesus himself uses in the book of Revelation. He says that the churches are to be lampstands. Well, lampstands can be beautiful too, but their primary function is to shine the light. Church, we are called to be obedient, but not just beautiful in the sense that, oh, hey, everybody, look at us. Look at what God's doing here. But instead, we are a light shining into our neighborhood and into the nations. It's giving and it's going. Giving is a good way forward, but it is our witness, our light that has to shine brightly in this present generation. And that brings us to this third point. How do we get... To this place where we go beyond Haran and to the promised land. How do we go from being a come and see kind of church to a go and tell kind of church? Now listen, we have to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves so that we don't become a come and see. Oh, come and, and, and experience our music. Oh, come and hear our preacher. Oh, come and be a part of our ministries. Listen, what we want to do is we want to do all those things well, but it's not about inviting neighbors to come and see. We need to go and tell the world about Jesus. And the only way we're going to get that right is if we get our worship right. The goal is always the worship of God. In verses 6 through 9, you'll see some interesting language about worship, about altars being established. Look there in verse 7b. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Notice as he goes there where the Canaanites are, verse 6. He's going into the land, and it's occupied by the Canaanites. I want you to see a couple things there in those verses. Notice it speaks of uh, Shechem, It speaks of Bethel and I. Those are different localities there in the promised land. It sort of shows that God has called Abram to take the whole land that we would call Israel today. Uh, God is laying out the boundaries for his country, his people. That's what's happening here all the way back in chapter 12, verses 6 through 9. But I want you to see, though that is the geography, let me show you the purpose. The purpose is that the Canaanites, look at that, the Canaanites, verse 6b, were in the land. I believe that God brought Abram to Canaan to establish worship. The first goal of Abram and his people were not to declare war, but to declare worship. I believe that God had a plan to save the Canaanites, but they had to open their hearts. The idea was Abram and his progeny, those who would come behind him, were called to be worshipers of God. If we want to have a witness in the world, it begins with worship right here at Ridgecrest. John Piper is so right. The reason why we need missions in the world is because we're lacking worship. If we will worship as we ought to, we will have the fuel to do the witnessing we need to do. When our hearts are dry, we are not a good witness. But when the living water has brought us to life, then we have a witness that is powerful. The Canaanites were a wicked people. There were deep, deep roots of sin and evil in Canaan. And one can look at it from a political perspective and say that the goal was to get an army together and chase out the bad guys. But the goal was always to lead those nations to the Lord. Worship was the way to win the land, not war. Let me give you these thoughts. When we don't worship as we ought... We will be at war with those around us. Too many times Christianity has just become a a tool of politicians. And it's just a way of, of, of winning wars and winning territories. And that's why so many of our missionaries struggle in the mission field today. Because of that nationalism that Christianity was attached to. We have to get away from that idea. And the only way we do that is with worship. When the Prince of Peace fills our heart in worship, we have opportunity to win people to Christ. Let me tell you this. Today, those who are pundits and those who are in the media will talk about the culture wars. Let me say this. Let's win the culture wars through our worship. The world today is not impressed with our resources. Not impressed with what we have to say but when we are on fire for Jesus when worship permeates our presence they don't have an argument with us because they see the joy of the Lord in us Too many of us are worrying about how we're going to push back against the wicked philosophies and the paganism in our land. But if you go back here to Genesis 12, notice how God tells his people to do it. He tells them to go in there and build altars and worship the Lord. And that's what will change the world. We want to worship our way out of this chaos in the world. We want to call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 8 speaks of that. We want to call on the name of the Lord. We want to build the altar and call on the name of the Lord. When we do that, we can bless all the families of the earth. I want to wrap up here with just a couple of questions. And I pray these questions will drive you to your knees, to the altar if necessary. The first question is this. Have you been running from God's call In your life. Halfway isn't good enough. It'll get you killed. When I was 14 years old, I surrendered to the ministry. And of all places, Hammond, Indiana, which is not too far from where my daughter goes to school now. And I walked an aisle and made a commitment. And then ran as hard as I could the other direction. Some people like to say, wow, man, you were a pastor. Called to be a pastor at age 19. Well, let me just say this to you. I was five years late because I had ran from my call. Now, God getting a hold of you at 19, you think, okay, well, but my cousin was called at about the same age, and he was preaching revivals when he was 15. He had to get his dad to drive him to the meetings. And he is still preaching today a faithful servant of the Lord. I know what it's like. I went off to Nineveh or university, depending on how you want to look at it, to be a doctor. And, you know, I thought that was my calling. But I got to tell you, we've got some great MDs in our church, and they, they serve the Lord in their profession. But I wasn't going to serve humanity. I was, I came from a, a, a poor town and everything. I want to make money. I wanted to be an MD because the people I knew that whose mom and dads were doctors did pretty well. So I ran. For a while, I had gone the right direction, went about halfway And I don't believe I'd be standing here today. I don't think I'd be in this world today if I had not finally stopped running. You know, I know that these altars here at Ridgecrest have been used a lot over the years, and some of you have made commitments, and you're not even halfway there. But even if you are, it's not good enough. You know, and I I promise you God knows. The second question is really a question of why then. Is fear and the prospect of suffering keeping you from God's call? Maybe life has become a little too easy. Maybe school is going well. The People around you are telling you that you're really good at what you do. That is making you believe that that's more important than the call that God has on your life. Jim Elliott, one of the 20th century's most well-known martyrs for Christ, he lost his life in Ecuador in 1956. As a young man, his journals were written. He started writing them as a junior at Wheaton, which is also up in Chicago, on the west side of Chicago. And uh, when I got, saw the book, The Journals of Jim Elliott, I thought it wouldn't be a very good read. And I'm, I'm pretty disciplined. Even when books aren't that good, I'll, I'll finish them. But I didn't even have to make it to the preface. You know how books have a dedication at the beginning? I've never written down a quote from a dedication, but I did this morning. I'd like to read it to you. In fact, I'll show it to you. Jim was talking to a family member who was considering missions, and he said, Remember, we have bargained with him who bore a cross. Our silken selves must know denial. When I had him put it in this morning up in the booth, because I just read this this morning, We had to, a few times, talk about that word silken. Do you see it? Do you get it? If anything, the American church is clothed in soft, luscious silk. We have all the advantages that many of our brothers in the world do not have. And we are very prone to forget that we have bargained with him who bore a cross. One of the great fears keeping our young people from missions and ministry is that it's not a very good career path. And usually it's not. It's not the place to get rich. It's not the place to to be successful. Uh, I'm sad to say that some have made it into that. And that's for our everlasting shame as followers of the one who didn't have a pillow to lay his head on. What are we afraid of? We're not afraid of the devil so much. We're afraid of of the future. We're afraid of what a commitment to Christ really looks like. I I say this to you because I know how that feels. I I know the kind of decisions that you make when that's your calculus. What is the fear keeping you in Haran? Halfway. The final question is this. Can you worship when things go wrong? If you've had a dry spell, you can beat yourself up all you want, or you can make a decision here and now to do better. Listen, life is not always going to give you what you want, but the question is, will you worship even though your heart is broken? It's the only way to become the person you were called to be in church. It's the only way we will become the church we must be. Worship and what we do up here, this is not a show. Kelly and Rich and Nathan and I, we talk about this a lot. The last thing we want to do is perform for you. We want you to do all this for Jesus. It's the only way out. The culture wars today are not going to be won, as I said, by us being more clever than the other guys and gals, but it's going to be because we are so filled with worship that our witness is so bright that no one can turn their head from it. They will want that light too. When I came to Ridgecrest, you guys just blew me away. I I had been pastoring for a long time. I, I I was relatively successful in the in the Missouri Baptist Convention. I'd spoke in front of large crowds and everything else. But it was, man, I tell you what, it was it was a little nerve wracking being the senior pastor at Ridgecrest. And the first six months, I was traveling back and forth and it just a hard time for me. It, I would get up here, and, and, and I'm just being as raw with you as I know how. I, I couldn't even breathe. I was struggling with my breath. I, I, I was like, I'd have to get up here and say, Jeremy, breathe, breathe, breathe. I, I, I was just out of breath. I'm a runner. <laughs> I, I usually have plenty of breath. And my wife tells me I'm windy. So, you know, plenty of breath. What's the deal here? But it just felt like every time I got up here, I was punched in the gut. As time went by, and you guys didn't scare me as much, I guess, you know, I've gotten more comfortable, and I sure love this church, and it's crazy what God is doing through you. So anything I've said here today is not said in a spirit of meanness or ugliness. But one of the things that that I got to thinking about, it's probably been a year ago, I told Kelsey that we wanted to redo the Go Mission Center, and I wanted to get out of there. Not because I don't want to go on mission, you know my heart, I want to go on mission as much as anybody, I'm so itching to get on a plane, it ain't even funny, but I felt like when, you, when we said, go meet the pastor, before you went on mission, you had to go through Jeremy. Because the Go Mission Center, I was sitting at the front of it, and all of the paraphernalia, all of, the, all of the, the, the literature, and all of the possibilities of you going on mission, you had to kind of work around me. And I remember a few times people would do that, but most people wouldn't come in the Go Mission Center because that's where people were meeting with Pastor Jeremy. And the more I've thought about it, that is the problem with most of our churches in America today. It's like it's about the preacher. I kind of got into this ministry because it's about Jesus. What do you think? I don't really want Ridgecrest to be known by Jeremy Muniz. I don't want it to be known by any man. And the people who have that I have followed in their footsteps, I think, would agree with me in this. Because down deep inside, we don't do it to make a name for ourselves or else we are no better than the Babel folks we're trying to make a name for jesus listen this church will be great not if i preach better not if i lead better it'll become great when you go on mission as jesus has called you to go on mission when you stop making excuses and i stop making excuses for my unfaithfulness when i get past the halfway house that is haran and we get on to the promised land then we'll do something great for jesus amen It's about Jesus. We are here to serve him. We go on mission and we bless the families of the earth because of Jesus. We must be Christ led, mission focused, and ready to give all to Christ. Been preaching a long time, been doing this a long time. But I am not satisfied with where my heart is. I am not satisfied with where we are. I really do believe that God has more like 50 partners for us. I really do believe that $20,000 is just the beginning of what we give to the Global Impact Fund. I believe that the ministries we're doing in town, and I don't know if you noticed, but like the first five or six that came down had a Missouri flag. And we have at least that many ministries here locally, even if we didn't have that many flags. Um, For those of you who say, well, it's all, you know, we're too focused on the rest of the world. You're not paying attention. You're not looking at what we're doing next door. We are pouring into this community and we're not done yet. There is so much brokenness in your neighbor's heart. Do you even know that? We can do better. If we're in Haran, hey, at least we've come halfway. But church, let's be a blessing to all the nations. Let's go to the promised land together. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.